Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On our later show, we're talking Thor Ragnarok's big debut on the big screen. Why BlizzCon and League of Legends should be a bigger deal. Week 9 in the NFL. Why cartoons still are so important to us. And do we really need a Planet of the Apes video game? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And first off, before I introduce the mastermind himself, Josh Peterson of Humanity Media, I want to first say thank you so much to everyone out there for making this show, the Pop Culture Cosmos show, that we truly work so hard on trying to bring to you each and every Monday, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Podcast Radio Network. For nine months in a row, we're number one on the network, and it's all because of you, and we truly appreciate it. We also want to thank everyone out there who were so kind in the recent days to send us some warm thoughts on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel on Apple Podcasts. They gave us a whole bunch of five-star reviews, and I really want to say thank you to all those great entities and all those great podcasters. And you want to check out Film Forecast, What About Your Friends?, Keys Bartender, The Question, Story Spectacular, Funny to Informing, and the Hout Garbage Podcast. You want to check out all these great podcasts out on Apple Podcasts today. They all sent great words and great love to us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, and we truly appreciate it. Plus, a lot of others as well gave us five-star reviews. And every time you do, we do truly appreciate it when you subscribe, when you give us great reviews. We thank you so much for doing so. But we got a packed house once again this week. And I'll tell you what, I cannot cover pop culture without my good friend. Again, he is the criminal mastermind behind Humanica Media. It's the evil Josh Peterson. What's up, my friend? Not much, man. Um, you know, I got my Thor Ragnarok review up. I know we're going to talk about that in a second. But um, yeah, dude, what's up? What's going on? It's been a great weekend for pop culture indeed. And yes, Josh Peterson has a full 15-minute review of Thor Ragnarok. And that, for our downloaders and streamers, you can catch that at the tail end of the Pop Culture Cosmos show if you download and stream it off of one of our many entities. And I'll be announcing what those networks are later in the program. But right now we're going to talk some Thor Ragnarok ourselves because it made a whole mess of money this weekend. And I'm going to report the numbers here in a sec. But first off, Josh... You saw it a day before I did, you lucky dog, you. And I'll tell you what, we are both pretty satisfied with what we saw on the screen, correct? 
Yeah, I, I am. Um, I do have some complaints, but uh, you know, it was a pretty satisfying experience overall. I'll tell you what, Josh, like you, I had some, some slight issues and things of that nature. I know for a fact that you liked it. I know there's some issues and, and concerns that may have taken away from the full perfection of a Marvel film, but still it's very strong in your eyes. And I know for me as well, it's a very, very strong movie. I'm still pondering how high up on the list it will be as far as if you follow our site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. I have the updated list up until Thor Ragnarok of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on my list. So I'm trying to figure out where it fits up there, but it, it will go higher up on the list. It was a very strong representation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I will tell you right now that it is very enjoyable and easy watch. I really, truly like the development of Chris Hemsworth himself. He really has come to embrace the role of Thor in a different fashion. Taika Waititi, he really has brought the best out of Chris Hemsworth. He really is keyed in, as we both surmised on our Friday show, the PCC Multiverse, that he was going to really tap into the comedic talent that Chris Hemsworth has. And he took a character that was pretty wooden, in the previous Thor films, in my opinion, pretty straightforward, pretty bland, and, and pretty nondescript at many points in time. Even in the Avengers, sometimes he was the weakest part of that cast, basically because of the Shakespearean influence. And, and basically, just it, it seemed more of like a Greek tragedy than anything that they were trying to portray in the Thor movies. In this case, it just took Thor in a completely different direction and it was all the better for it because of the circumstances that were surrounding what he needed to do, saving Asgard or maybe not saving Asgard. We'll leave that out there for you to watch. But I will tell you this, that it was a strong performance by Chris Hemsworth. Again, Tom Hiddleston, he's nailed the Loki role now for each and every time he goes on the screen. For him, it's just like that coat that just fits so well for him because it just each and every time he still seems to find subtle ways to to enhance that Loki character even when it looks like there's there's nothing left for him to give he still tweaks out a little bit more something special i do like some of the other characters on screen as well but can i ask you this josh did you have an issue of the way in and I'd spoilers we're going to head into spoiler territory here vaguely and not so vaguely within the next few minutes so if you haven't seen it yet you don't want to hear any spoilers maybe turn it on low for the next five to ten minutes we'll uh we'll we'll give you a heads up when we're we're uh, coming back out of it but did you have an issue with as far as the way that the director basically took many things from the first two films and basically swept it under the rug within the first 20 to 25 minutes. Yeah, so in my review, I kind of talked about that. I feel like he basically did a lot of things that made the first two movies feel like a complete waste of time. And in a way, I feel kind of cheated. You know, we have the, the thing with the Warriors 3, obviously. And like that seems like it was almost insulting to the actors to only have them on screen for like three seconds. And they don't even explain why they're in that area where they were when they got killed. You know, and the thing with Jane Foster, I never really liked Natalie Portman, but Jane Foster is a huge part of Thor's universe. And then we don't really get detail on what happened to her. We just get like a few, a few quick lines and a joke. So an almost throwaway, you know, it is what actually did seem like a throwaway. I'm going to put that out there. It did seem like it was just a throwaway 
their relationship and whatever it was just within a span of one sentence pretty much was just treated as as something that was irrelevant for at this point in time almost like if the director had a, a directive himself from marvel we need you to sweep under the rug everything that was present within the first two films right and that see i really liked thor the dark world like i know that we differ on that but like i this was my so uh, thor ragnarok incredibly entertaining great movie but i feel cheated in a way like i feel like they sacrificed a lot of chances for character development and uh, story elaboration for for cheap laughs and that's kind of you know that's where my i have a pretty big section of what i found bad with the movie thor ragnarok which takes place in avengers disassembled which happens right before civil war it's really like it's a, a really rich tale and it's a really great story and they didn't even really like touch on that because they wanted to create an ensemble film and they you know they gave us half of a thor movie and half of a planet hulk movie and it felt so busy at times that we didn't really get the a lot of story we got a lot of laughs and we got a lot of like cool like visuals and you know don't get me wrong the movie was great but like i i feel like there's a lot of things that i really wanted to see that i didn't get to see if that makes sense it does make sense indeed and i think best thing i can say is they did a better job of trying to juggle everything what's going on in different aspects in different areas with different characters than guardians of the of the galaxy volume two did but they both ultimately did not do enough to put it over the top as far as one of the greats in the series still a very strong movie don't get me wrong but to me i get that sense too where like you said they were just trying to go back it seemed like they were when they were ping pong back and forth meanwhile on asgard they kept ping ponging back and forth and it just right. and the shifts in tone were so drastic too yes that's uh, gets to be heavy and Carl Urban, unfortunately, was not given something that will endear himself as far as anyone who was you know, a big fan of his or, or wanted to see him progress in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, unfortunately, his debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe was not a memorable one, in my opinion. But hats off to Jeff Goldblum. He was really funny. Like He was, he was kind of the anchor of that whole side of the, the movie. It was weird because I was reading a review today and they were talking about how, you know, the Hulk has his big role in this movie and he's uh, he's kind of a big selling point for the movie. But they also talked about how Dr. Bruce Banner kind of got cheated, like in a way we didn't really get to hear a lot about him or what he's, you know, what's, what, what that's like to lose yourself to the Hulk. Like there's a whole nother storyline there too that we should have gotten. And I don't know if it was, uh, you know, Waititi or maybe the you know, the big wigs up in Marvel, but, you know, I'm hoping that this was kind of a one-off. Like it is, like I said, great movie, but like, I'm hoping it's just a one-off and we don't like launch into Avengers Infinity War and end up with like these mile a minute laughs that they tried to sell us with Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, the tone of Avengers Age of Ultron was good, but like, this is such a massive scope movie, like Avengers, I mean, and it's such a massive scope movie. And it's like, it's everything we've been waiting for. So I don't want them to throw away story and like good, you know, what could be good uh, character development or character endings, we don't know, for cheap laughs. But overall, you found it a favorable experience, correct? Thor Ragnarok? Because I certainly did. And I think it was, for me, by far, leagues, leagues, leagues ahead of the first two Thor films. 
Okay, this is where it gets tricky. Was it entertaining? Was yes. Was it a good movie? Yes. Did I enjoy watching it? I enjoyed every minute of it. Was it the Thor movie that I was hoping for? No, not in the least bit. Was it the Thor movie I was hoping for? But you can't win them all. So it's a good movie, but yes, it's not the not not the movie I was I was looking forward to. Well, I still think of, for me it was a very very good experience. Is it the best Marvel movie this year? Uh, I know you and I both had our disappointment with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but we both thought very well of Spider-Man Homecoming. And I placed that very high on my list. Is it, for me, one of the, the best Marvel cinematic movies of all time? I'm still pondering that, and I'm going to probably post my thoughts, hopefully as early as this week, when I add it to my list of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But I still found it to be a very favorable experience and leagues ahead of the first two previous Thor films. What are your thoughts on Thor Ragnarok? You've probably seen it because it made a ton of money this weekend at the box office, about $120 million domestically, and it is right now at over $400 million worldwide already. So it's making that Marvel money right away. It seems like people are still not tired yet of these superhero movies. And it bodes well not only for Infinity Wars, but also Justice League coming out in a couple weeks as well. And don't forget the really, really cool-looking Black Panther. That movie's coming out in February for Marvel as well. And, of course, Justice League from DC in a couple weeks. So people could – these two movies could scratch an itch for a little while for those looking for those great superhero movies. But we'll be uh, talking about Justice League in a couple weeks just to make sure. But send us your thoughts on Thor Ragnarok, Pop Culture Cosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, and Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. We've got an awesome show again lined up for you. We've got Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast. He and I reminisce a little bit about how important cartoons are in our pop culture. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pay Dirt Podcast. He's stopping by with his thoughts on week nine in the NFL. And Josh and I are coming back later as well, talking about League of Legends, BlizzCon, and why Planet of the Apes is actually having a video game coming out. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But first off, it's our good friend Chad and Hyperschmidt. And this is I Can Tell. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Something's new today. Were you lying to yourself? I can tell you're not the same. They'll find you if you stay. Will you hold back? Or will you give yourself away? The day you came home, so sure I lost you. The way you're walking right at me. That thing that haunts you, it's not on your back. Did you decide that you were free? I don't know what you say You got to give it up to live this way I can tell your heart is truly changed Oh, in a second breath I see your name And I see the light behind your eyes again 
listening to the pop culture cosmos get ready for box art a gaming docuseries from pyre productions and rob mccallum films if you love video games chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades in our series box art we travel across north america to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time what was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Once again, this is Kevin Eldridge with the Flopcast. You got to check out his great show, The Flopcast, on flopcast.net and the ESO Broadcasting Network. You want to check out his show each and every week when it drops because it not only deals with music and obviously the Hall of Fame and whatnot, but it deals with 
different parts of the pop culture scene from from glory days from the 70s 80s 90s and what have you kevin your show deals with so many different types of the pop culture scene and that's why it's a must listen every time and every week it drops i want to ask you real quick about your thoughts on what cartoons what kind of influence it has on our culture yes we obviously see the influence and impact that it has on today's culture with rick and morty south park the simpsons family guy what have you but let's talk about going further back when in your and our era because i hope you're much younger than i am because i'm really old <laughs> but um back when for you and your show talks a lot about the Saturday morning cartoons and that was part of my culture for me it was more about coming home from school and catching those great episodes of He-Man, Scooby-Doo, the Justice League right after school but for you it's also it was a tradition coming home and seeing it every weekend on Saturday as well. Yeah, well, and thanks for the kind words about the Flopcast, Bia. That, that's certainly one of our passions that on the Flopcast is cartoons, and uh, especially the old stuff, but and some of the new stuff as well. And yeah, I really part of that that scene of the like the the rise of the '80s daily syndicated cartoons of He-Man, Transformers in the '80s. G.I. Joe, Joe, absolutely. Yeah, Thundercats, that, that whole scene. It's cool, but uh, I, I never really got into those shows back then. <laughs> so, so for me, when I go back to the old stuff, as you said, it's uh, the Saturday morning stuff is really uh, what, what we tend to focus on. Now, that said, well, I'm, so I'm kind of an old school 70s, 80s Saturday morning cartoon guy, and now my co-host, uh, Cornflake, She's a bit younger than me, and, and uh, she is into the afternoon stuff, especially the, the Disney stuff, the DuckTales, all those shows. So there's, there's that side of it as well that people also remember quite fondly. And then somewhere in the middle, you've got those the action-adventure stuff, He-Man and, and uh, Transformers and uh, all such great stuff. Tell me what those cartoons, when you were growing up, what those cartoons mean to you. For me, uh, Saturday morning, and that this is something that, kids are missing out on today and that, that that's such a grumpy old man thing to say <laughs> because what, what a, a, an, an age of wonder we're living in where you can pull up practically anything you want anytime you want see whatever you want and it's great i would not go back but what an event saturday morning was that's that was the thing that we waited for all week and i would be up so freakishly early every saturday morning i'd be watching the test pattern i'd be watching the star spangled banner waiting for 5:45 a.m when they're going to show a davy and goliath cartoon but before the the real network cartoons are still a couple of hours away i'm up watching the weird early stuff barba papa and you know vegetable soup the strange things that hardly anybody even remembers or, or maybe even like Looney Tunes or in my area, in my neck of the woods, we, they would have uh, the old Popeye cartoons as well. Oh, sure. And the, the old stuff, because with the Looney Tunes, like the, you, you had the, uh, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show as it was part of the, those network Saturday morning cartoon blocks. And, and of course, those were mostly reruns. They, we were watching cartoons from the 40s and the 50s, but they were just so brilliant and perfect that you could watch them a thousand times. And also those cartoons were made for adults originally. Those were made to be you know the, the shorts in, before movies. Those were theatrical shorts that we were watching on Saturday morning. But then, yeah, if like you said, if you were up really 
really early or you put on some weird UHF channel or even Sunday morning, I remember seeing the old Looney Tunes cartoons that they didn't even show on Bugs Bunny Roadrunner, in the, not on net, the networks. There were these syndicated packages of those cartoons that you, if you were up really early and the real early stuff, it, would, it was usually like old, beat up, dirty prints, the, the, the grainy, <laughs> these awful copies that they just kept Especially showing again. Especially at the beginning and the end where they really didn't care about cleaning it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, those early Bugs Bunnies where he kind of looked different, you know, the, the before Chuck Jones or even came along, the, the, the real early stuff was just fascinating to, to see. But the network stuff was just such an event back then. And, and even you'd watch the preview specials on Friday night where they'd introduce the new Saturday morning shows to you. And uh, my sister and I would be watching and practically taking notes and plotting what, what are we going to do in the morning and uh, we negotiating? Okay, we'll try this one, but then we, we're not going to, we've got to stick with the super friends. I'm not going to miss the super friends. Then we can try this other one. It was just a, such a massive part of the week. Definitely it was. Uh, I can tell you Saturday was, was pretty special here too. Uh, the original Scooby-Doo cartoons are just something that I've rarely seen duplicated as far as quality or concern. Kind of digressed each year that it transformed into something else. But the originals, 1969, 1970, Scooby-Doo original yeah. mysteries were just so awesome. And then there's just so much more as far as, like you said, the Super Friends, He-Man, G.I. Joe, and just so many other great cartoon memories. And, just, and if anybody wants to relive those great cartoon memories, you cover it often in the Flopcast. So I ask you, Kevin, inform everybody out there that needs to know why they need to listen to your great show, The Flopcast, available now on theflopcast.net and also the ESO Network. Wow, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah again, uh, we, we, we talk about cartoons quite a bit, as well as music, TV, comic books, conventions, anything pop culture from the 70s and 80s especially, and into the 90s, and, and even some stuff today. I mean, I, I tend to focus on the old stuff, but there's some great cartoons being made today. I love Bob's Burgers. Justice League Action is a current, you know, the, the Super Friends I loved back in the day, but then we got Batman the Animated Series and Justice League Unlimited and Brave and the Bold. And, and uh, even today, Justice League Action is terrific. And it's, it's a Saturday morning cartoon. I get up on Saturday and there's a new Justice League cartoon for me to watch, which is pretty wonderful. You know, I've been watching <laughs> the Justice League on Saturday mornings for 40 something years now, which is crazy. So yeah, we, we love kicking around those kind of subjects and the Flopcast, we try to be very light and silly as well. We, we try to, treat, we, we're, we're talking pop culture, but we also treat it like a comedy show. So uh, we're goofing around as much as we can. And yeah, every single week we have a lot of fun. It's a show that you need to listen to each and every week. Again, that's the Flopcast podcast which is, I guess, pretty cool when you have to say it like that. The <laughs> Flopcast podcast available on Flopcast.net, the ESO Network, and I haven't even mentioned it's available on Apple Podcasts. So if you could just, you know, if you're I got an iPhone or just really love iTunes and Apple Podcasts, it's right there for you as well to get that fix each and every week. Kevin, as always, it's been a great pleasure having you on I expect you to come on hopefully a lot sooner next time, but it truly is a great pleasure having you part of the pop culture cosmos and the PCC multiverse. 
please, everyone out there, give the Flopcast a really, really great listen. It's a great show. And if you don't, Solomon Grunde is going to get you. <laughs> Excellent. It's great to be here, Gerald. Thank you so much. Thanks, as always, my friend. It's so great to have you part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Cornflake. So we host the Flopcast. We cover nerd and geek subjects of all types, but this is sort of a sillier, goofier side of geekdom, I'd say. We love to talk about music, especially funny music. We talk about comic books, conventions. Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, yeah. I'd say if you're going to put the Flopcast in Brady Bunch terms, we're like the cousin Oliver of podcasting. (laughs) And we do a ridiculous new Flopcast episode every week. What is wrong with us? We really have nothing else to do. (laughs) We're part of the Earth Station One Podcast Network. And you can find us at Flopcast.net. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. We truly appreciate you being part of the show here today. And I'll tell you what, Josh, this weekend was a great weekend for pop culture, starting with, like I said, Thor Ragnarok doing mega business at the box office. We also had two of the major events going on in the video gaming world, but not a lot of people outside of the hardcore fan base seem to actually pay attention or care, which I kind of find a little bit troubling because BlizzCon and the League of Legends World Championships both took place this weekend. I'll start off with you, Josh, on BlizzCon, which is Blizzard Games, their annual convention where they spread all that great love from all their great games that they have out there, starting with Overwatch as their most recent hit, moving on to so many others. I want to ask you, Josh, real quick, your thoughts on why BlizzCon doesn't get more attention among the mainstream audience out there. Because it only appeals to a certain group of fans. I, yeah, it, I just I have no interest in playing because they have they have two kinds of games. Before Overwatch came out, all it was is just subscription based games. Uh, World of Warcraft really only appealed to fans of MMORPGs who have a computer that can support that type of game, and it doesn't reach out to a wide enough audience to really you know pull in enough people it has it will always have it's like certain group of fans kind of like you know like anime expo or whatever other expos that are aimed at a certain group of people like to me personally i don't care i don't have any desire to pet to to play a game that i have to pay for or like a a loot based game they don't i think the big problem is that they don't have a game that appeals to everybody overwatch to me is the closest to it yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't appeal to people who like to play games by themselves. So you have, you know, you have a massive online multiplayer game and you have a massive online role-playing game. So they're both revolve around online. And despite, you know, what statistics show, I don't think that the multiplayer audience is as large as the comp- these big uh, studios are, are imagining them being. Well, I certainly agree with you on that as far as trying to reach out to a broader audience. Blizzard has done very well with keeping themselves a nice, fervent fan base that is passionate about their games, similar to what Nintendo does. But it seems like Nintendo reaches out to a broader audience beyond that when it wants to and when it can. Blizzard seems to, with its games, just reach and connect with its hardcore base. Now, some of the news that went down during BlizzCon is fairly important from... The world of, of 
those. Although I, I think from past years, I think this one was a little bit lighter as far as from the news front. With the World of Warcraft, yes, they did announce another expansion called the Battle of Azeroth. This is obviously going to be another big attachment in the series. And like you said, for those that are still into World of Warcraft and the user base is still fairly strong, that it definitely is something very important that indeed that they still keep adding this great new content. Hearthstone is getting some new expansions, Heroes of the Storm. They're they're also getting some some add-ons and things of that nature. So news-wise, it was kind of light. And StarCraft II has gone free-to-play, which I guess was the biggest news for me coming out of BlizzCon 2017 because StarCraft II was so big and so huge for such a long time. Having it go to a free-to-play format is is very interesting decision by Blizzard. And it's obviously, they know what they're doing from their past history. So this definitely it looks like something that could be a way to revive that long, long successful running game as well. With League of Legends, it's kind of different because with League of Legends, they just had their world championship for this year. SK Telecom T1 finally met their challenge because they've won so many years in a row and they finally lost to Samsung Galaxy. They ran into a buzzsaw when it came to Samsung Galaxy and SK Telecom T1. Their reign as three-time world championships is over. And I want to ask you, this is so huge overseas. This is so huge in Europe as far as people following this on Twitch. The numbers are are astronomical. It's almost like a a celebration, a party event, but still, still has a hard time getting over here in the States. League of Legends itself, similar to what we're seeing with World of Warcraft, with Overwatch, it reaches a base, but it stays within that base and doesn't really get too much beyond it. So I ask you, Josh, with the League of Legends World Championships that are just concluded and Samsung Galaxy finally reigning on top once again, I want to ask you, why is this esports as a whole, League of Legends World Championships and more, why are they still not connecting with a larger audience? Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like the the RPG fantasy uh mobile whatever you want to call a market here in america isn't what it is across seas you, you know you take a game like this over in japan or europe and they they seem to have a lot more popularity than they do here and that actually explains like you know the sales of well sales of like games like final fantasy and numenaria have been good they haven't been you know stellar they haven't been what they've been in other countries so i think it's more of a more of a refined taste in video games over there whereas like here we're more we're constantly on the go like so we're upset we want to play something that we can play fast like should we you know that's why call of duty sells so well or Madden but even gta 5 which sells strongly in europe and the usa it may not sell everywhere just as strongly because it fits a different kind of base yeah i think it's all about the demographic too like you know just gta sells well here because we have you know, there, there, just like Red Dead Redemption, there is a market for uh, you know games that you can get online, play with your friends, mess around with. Honestly, gaming trends here in America are very weird and they're very unpredictable. So, because I noticed that there's a lot of stuff that people play overseas, a lot of RPGs. As I was talking to the guys on the Super BS about a lot of the games that they would like to see come to Switch, and they're games that I've never even heard of. They just follow them on like Kotaku and Polygon, and they see that they're Against something that we don't have, so you know, I think it's all about the the people where you are, um, what 
time of year it is and what's coming out. But, you know, personally, as you know, as demonstrated earlier, I don't know much about League of Legends, so it's never really uh, had much of a hold on me. Well, and that's the thing with with League of Legends. It has a large and fervent fan base overseas, even in Europe and somewhat in the U.S. as far as in pockets and packs. League of Legends does remain, uh, you know, a standby game. But as far as a larger entity that's spoken of, that's talked about on the IGNs, the Kotakus, and also as well the Polygons, the GameSpots of the world, League of Legends is usually not high in their list, at least on a year-round basis as far as talking about what's going on with it. It's usually mentioned as an afterthought. It's something that's primarily not focused on by them anytime there's any expansions or refinements or, or anything, even a world championships per se, even though it's one of the largest esports tournaments there is. So, uh, because Samsung Galaxy, SK Telecom T1, these are two of the, the biggest names in the esports industry. They are the Manchester United and New York Yankees of esports and it doesn't get any bigger than that in their realm they're highly paid esports athletes and i'll tell you what their their work should be no less appreciated but unfortunately here in america we really haven't caught on yet to what what is so special about esports no matter how much tbs how much espn and how much other entities try to promote it as something kind of special still not connected as of yet because we really have not seen the athletes that we can become familiar with that we can connect with as a general audience here in the States. I'm hoping that will change some one day because esports, I think people should give it a look and give it a more focused attention because it, to me, it definitely deserves it. What are your thoughts on BlizzCon 2017 and the League of Legends World Championships? Are you happy that Samsung Galaxy reigns supreme once again? Or are you happy with all the news that BlizzCon uh, announced with, with the additions and the expansions of to many of their games at BlizzCon this year? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. And after the break, we'll be right back with our good friend Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. He's going to break down week nine in the NFL for you fantasy football owners out there, as only he can do. Because he's going to do it right after the break, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Okay, auditions for the new Earth Station Who co-host. Take one. Go ahead. Hello, Stonehenge, who takes the Pandora Cup, takes the universe. But, bad news everyone, cause guess who? Ha, listen, you lot you're always in about. It's really very distracting. Could you all just stay still a minute because I am talking? Not too shabby. Can you close this up? Earth Station Who, a fun mashup celebrating over 50 years of the Doctor Who universe. You never know where the TARDIS is going to go next. Earth Station Who podcast can be found at www.earthstationwho.com. Earth Station Who is a proud member of the ESO network. We are up on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Peace and we are done. Did I pass the audition? We'll get back to you. Next.
And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And week nine in the NFL was another doozy. Woo, don't you know it. And here to break down that doozy with me is my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend among fantasy football gurus. He is the curator of ffpater.com. He is the head referee of the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook site, and also as well, he is the host of the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, which you can catch today on Apple Podcasts, Lipson, SoundCloud, Overcast, and Player.fm. It's Tyler Baker. What's going on, my friend? How are you doing, brother? It's always good to talk to you. When you're losing to a team that's starting Aaron Rodgers and you're basing it all (laughs) off of a wide receiver to do well on Monday night's game, that tells you how it's going for me. Well, from our previous conversation, that wide receiver is Golden Tate. And Golden Tate is the most important piece of that offense, in my opinion. So I think you're okay. I think you're okay, unless <laughs> unless Aaron Rodgers has like a miraculous healing, then, then I think you're going to be okay. Well, I, I hope so, indeed. But we'll have to see how that fans. We'll have to see how that plays out. It was a great week in the NFL with Week Nine, and I'll tell you what, there was a lot of standout performances, starting in Indianapolis, where if you didn't have a certain guy that has a name reminding you of a hotel chain. Yeah. You were pretty much out of luck. And if you benched him, my goodness, you are regretting it now. Yeah, I have him in a league and I benched him. And the reason why is because last week he had two catches for 17 yards. The week before that, it was three catches for 20 yards. The week before that, it was like one catch for 19 yards. Well, T.Y. Hilton today decided to get five catches for 175 yards and two touchdowns. This is very reminiscent of the problem that you've had with a guy like Deshaun Jackson in years past, where he's either going to blow up in when you're your league or he's going to get you one, two, three catches for under 30 yards. So, yes, T.Y. Hilton exploded today. Absolutely. If you played him, he probably won you your week. But if you played him the last three, four weeks, he probably lost you your week. So, uh, yes, he had a monster performance. Do I feel good about starting him next week? No, I don't. <laughs> it's just one of those things in fantasy football. I hear you as well. And there, but there was also a lot of other standout performances, including a new player on a new team, which kind of frustrated me because I benched him this sure. week. He was learning to adapt to a new system, mm-hmm. but he adapted it pretty good. I'm talking about Jay Ajay of the Philadelphia Eagles. He had a decent game. He had, uh, but he only had eight rushes for 77 yards and a touchdown. Now that one 46-yard touchdown pretty much made his week. But he's a great player. He's in a great situation right now. The Philadelphia Eagles, they are just firing on all cylinders. They are the best team in the NFC. And they're looking really good. They're one of the top rushing teams in the NFL. So moving forward, at least now we have some clarity as, yes, we can actually play Jay When he was in Miami, it was so hit or miss. And most of the time it was miss. Now, last year he had three 200-yard games last year. This year he has had 
off the top of my head, maybe one 100-yard game. Now he's playing with a new team. This team is legit. The Philadelphia Eagles are a legitimately good football team on both sides of the ball. Even through the adversities that they've had through injury, they're still a good football team. So J.H.I.E. has found a new home. He got a nice welcome to Philly party, and I would expect he is going to do really good things for fantasy owners playing for the Eagles this year. I definitely agree with you on that. I definitely, from this point forward, I'm going to play him and start him on the team unless I hear otherwise. I know that would be a a definitely smart move at this point going forward. I do want to ask, A.J. Green, he has been a big player over the years for the Cincinnati Bengals, but he got himself into a world of trouble today, and that could lead to a lot of issues down the road for fantasy football teams. I don't know if he is going to receive a suspension for his actions today. He was ejected from the game, remains to be seen, but when you choke a player from behind, throw them down, and then try to punch them, the NFL is not going to take kindly to that. And what you saw, there was there was there was kind of a theme today in that there were several teams that are kind of underachieving this year that you saw the frustrations boil up. So there were three games today that had like major brawls and the frustrations just coming to the surface and these players just not dealing very well with the stresses of playing in the NFL. But AJ Green, yeah, you hated to see that. And after the game, he apologized and he saw it as a lack of respect from Jalen Ramsey. And he's right. But when you're receiver versus cornerback you really try to get into the other guy's head because if you can throw them off and get a little bit of an advantage you can win a game that way once again this is tyler baker from the fantasy football pater podcast you want to check it out today on apple podcast and so many other podcasting outlets and if you have any questions on your fantasy football team whether it's a waiver wire pickup whether it's a trade whether it's a lineup choice you got to head on over to the Fantasy oh, yeah. Football Pater Podcast Facebook group and you want to ask those questions because Tyler and his great staff will actually give you the advice you need that will help you make an educated decision on where to go from there with your fantasy football team. Now, I'm going to throw some names at you as far okay. as from the quarterbacking realm, and I need your advice. Are these going to be big-time players for the rest of the season? especially with the playoffs coming around the corner for fantasy football teams. I'm going to Mm -hmm. give you these names. Tyrod Taylor, Jared Goff, Blake Bortles, and Jacoby Brissett are one, two, or all four of them great plays for the rest of the season. I'm not going anywhere near Blake Bortles. I don't care if he has one, two, three, four good games in a row. Just Just not going near it. So you think the Jaguars are basically a defensive-oriented team and they're getting by primarily on their defensive prowess? Absolutely. That defense is very, very good. And Leonard Fournette has shown that he is the real deal. Looking at his college film over the summer, he looked like the real deal, but a lot of times you see guys and it just doesn't translate to the NFL. He is fast. He is powerful. 
he actually likes hitting people. <laughs> and in the NFL, you want to see that toughness. They can ride him. They can let the defense do what they do, ride him, and ask Blake Bortle to do absolutely minimum. And that has been their formula for success is not putting the ball and and not giving the game to Blake Bortles. Now, when D.D. Westbrook, if he emerges, that might change a little bit because I think he is a extremely special talent that hasn't happened yet but I would stay very far away from Blake Bortles Jacoby Brissett I like the player I don't necessarily think that for fantasy purposes I don't want to start him every week so if you're streaming quarterbacks and you see that he has a good matchup sure go for it but an every week starter I don't think so Tyrod Taylor now with the Addition of Kelvin Benjamin, we did not get to see him this week, but with the addition of Kelvin Benjamin, I think that that does a lot for Tyrod Taylor's game. And for fantasy purposes, you really like that he can run the ball. You like that he's going to get rushing touchdowns. You like that he's going to run the ball. But now that he has a big body receiver that can do things downfield, now Kelvin Benjamin isn't a supreme athlete. He's not super fast, but he's a big dude that can go up and get the ball. So you have him and Jordan Matthews, the healthier he gets. You have two big receivers I kind of like Tyrod Taylor moving forward. Jared Goff. Well, I've been saying, and I am, because sometimes I get calls wrong, of course. You know, in this business, you just make the best decisions that you can. But I have said since the preseason that Sean McVay, becoming the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams is going to change that franchise. And that's exactly what has happened. And Jared Goff has really come into his own. They are a good football team. They're playing good football on both sides of the ball. They're six and two right now. They just put up 50, what was it? 51 points against the Giants. Yeah, I'll roll with Jared Goff. Yeah. Definitely some great advice indeed. Once again, it's Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. Again, his Facebook group, it's right there for you, ffpater.com, and of course, his great podcast, which you can catch every Tuesday and Saturday. Well, you can catch it any day you want, but it drops every Tuesday and Saturday right on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, SoundCloud, Player.fm, Overcast.fm. All of them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, all of them, all of them, pretty much. We share it on the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook and Twitter feed. If you get a chance to look at through that, you, we make sure we go ahead and spread the love for you as well. I appreciate that. Anytime for you, my friend. Anytime for you, Tyler. It's been awesome talking to you about Week Nine in the NFL. As long as the Cleveland Browns stay away from the trade <laughs> deadline, it's going to be definitely another exciting week when it comes to week 10 going forward. Looking forward to it, man, and looking forward to coming back on your show, man. I love it. It's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be great having you on our Friday show, the PCC Multiverse. We truly appreciate you being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. 
for the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And I'll tell you what, we just got word again, like as we were saying earlier in the broadcast of our ratings with the Podcast Radio Network. And from the bottom of our hearts, we just truly thank you so much for allowing us in your homes and listening on a week-by-week basis, making us number one for nine months in a row on this show. And the PCC Multiverse, our Friday show, is now the number three show, a definite ratings high for that. And that's all because of you. So we thank you so much for doing that. And Josh's show, The Attack of the Mannequins, which you can listen to every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network, that reached an all-time high for its audience as well. Well, before I go into where you can listen and stream this show, Josh, what's going on with your awesome experience known as Humanican Media? Uh, we have a my review of Maze is up uh, on Pop Culture Cosmos, and I did an audio review, which you can listen to on the Super BS podcast. And I, I, I'm sure it'll also pop up on Pop Culture Cosmos here sooner or later. You know, we're going to have a new episode of Super BS this week, and then keep tuning in to Attack of the Humanicans on Tuesday nights. And then again, check out after the podcast, if you're for those who are downloading and streaming the podcast, Josh's full thoughts of Thor Ragnarok. And you know what? I'm even going to throw in the review of Maze as well. So you're going to listen to extra bonus content of Thor Ragnarok and Maze, Josh's review, which you can get for the PS4, Xbox, and also PC as well. If you want to listen to that, you can just check us out by downloading or streaming the show on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel on Apple Podcasts, Tune in the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, the Gunna Geek Network, and of course our home site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, and Cast Crunch as well. So Josh, I want to ask you real quick before we head on out, when did the, the last Planet of the Apes movie come out? Uh, that was with Mark Wahlberg back in uh, 2006, right? Somewhere around that neighborhood. Oh, you Somewhere lied. Somewhere in there. So we talking about Tim, Bur- Tim Burton. Yeah, no, actually it wasn't too long ago. The War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, that was recent. And I, you know, go ahead. Ask me what you're about to ask me. Why would you be bringing out a video game that should have tied into the movie? Why would you be bringing out November 21st? Because this is my theory for that. It's, it might all be conspiracies and uh, you know flashing lights right now, but I think they're gauging an interest in the continuation of the series. I think they're, you know, because we had talked about whether or not there's going to be a sequel and the director, well, who was the director? Matt Reeves? He was discussing interest in coming back. I think they're trying to put a placeholder on the franchise by giving us this video game and they're going to see how well it sells and see if there's an interest in more movies. So that's my theory. They're gauging interest in the franchise continuing on. But, you know, it's the same thing with like Conan though. Like, you know, why give us a game when you're really far in between two different uh, iterations of, of Conan? I think, you know, it's it's just one of those things we we don't know. Maybe they want money or you know, whatever they're planning on doing going forward. 
Well, I'll tell you what, it is Planet of the Apes Last Frontier, and it is coming out November 21st. But for those on the PlayStation 4, that's, this is great because it's coming to your system very soon. But I don't know, it just it kind of just doesn't make sense that they would bring this out now. And it would have played off very well with watching the movie. People watch the movie would have been interested in, in buying the video game. Now it just looks like it has to survive on its own, even though the movie just came out on video. It, it because the the movie itself did okay, uh, but critically it was actually very thought of very well. So I kind of see just it not being sent out to to a very good response. Even though November twenty first is right around Black Friday, is right around the holiday season, but still I don't see it faring very well and getting blown over by an overcrowded list of holiday titles. It would have been suited much better if it was released right around the time of the release of the movie this past summer, I think it would have fared even better because it would have gained a lot of momentum off that. And it's just disappointing, especially if Planet of the Apes Last Frontier is a good quality game because it's going to be a shame because I think it's just going to, unfortunately, with the Super Mario Odysseys, the Wolfenstein 2s, the Assassin's Creed, the Call of Duty World War II, the... Star Wars Battlefront 2s of the world, they're just going to bowl it over and there's not going to be much left as far as people that want to play another game that, at this point in time. That's a good point, too, because if you look at you know some of the, re the release schedule going forward, even from after December, it's we have a pretty steady stream of big game releases. I mean, maybe there's like a a month in between, you know, two big games, but still those games that are coming out before and after that will probably take about a month to play. So I don't see it doing very well. Neither do I. And this is basically is still a, considered a smaller title, even though it has a big franchise name attached to it. So I don't see very good results for it. I'm hope I'm proved wrong. I, I, I really mean that. I hope I'm proved wrong because we always want to see good video games succeed, and I hope this turns out to be just that. But we'll have to wait and see. For those that are interested, it is coming out November 21st of this year, and that is Planet of the Apes, Last Frontier. You want to check it out, PlayStation 4, November 21st. What are your thoughts on Planet of the Apes, Last Frontier? Do you think it's something that's really necessary or needed right now? Do you think they should have waited until another Planet of the Apes movie is being set up officially or do you think they should have maybe planned better and released the game in coordinates with the actual release of the big hit movie of the planet of the apes this summer share us your thoughts pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com also as well pop culture cosmos humanica media and game source on facebook and twitter as well so josh any last thoughts as we head on out after another great week right here on the pop culture cosmos. Yeah, actually, I mentioned this in my Thor review, but I like how, you know, starting January, there's even starting now, there's a, a significant decrease in time we have to wait in between Marvel films. So we have Black Panther in February, Avengers in April. Yeah, and then we still have like three or four movies left in phase three. So it's, you know, Marvel's ramping up production. So you know, it's, it's just, it's nice to see that happen. We'll see uh, with the Justice League, uh, I guess this movie's going to decide where the DC universe goes or if it continues. So yeah, it's just a good time for superhero fans. 
if you are a superhero fans and you haven't gotten that superhero fatigue, yes, it is a great time indeed. There is a lot riding on Justice League, but we will talk about that in two weeks as it comes out. So that's a very pivotal and key movie for the superhero franchise and then also as well for DC movies and could bode well for people's interest in the Marvel movies coming up next year included. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey guys, Josh here from the Pop Culture Cosmos coming at you with the very first edition of Pop Culture Cosmos Reviews. And our first review is the latest entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor Ragnarok. For anybody familiar with the cosmic side of the Marvel Comics universe, you're no doubt aware that Thor hasn't exactly been done justice when it comes to his solo outings on the big screen. As the fourth film to come out in Phase 1 of Marvel's Cinematic Universe, Thor pulled in a number just north of $181 million, placing it just above The Incredible Hulk, which earned just shy of $135 million, and nowhere near Iron Man and Iron Man 2, which both earned over $300 million. And while its 2013 sequel, Thor The Dark World, did slightly better, bringing a little over $206 million in, it still wasn't exactly a favorite among fans, only garnering a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes despite being certified fresh. But let's be honest, even though Thor The Dark World might not have been Marvel's greatest big screen outing, it was still pretty darn good. When it was announced back in 2016 that director Taika Waititi would be directing Thor Ragnarok, fans of everyone's favorite Asgardian saw this as an opportunity to write Marvel Studios' past mistakes. After all, with that unique brand of humor that Chris Hemsworth is able to channel through Thor and the writing and directing talents of a man whose works include Boy, Hunt for the Wilder People, and the critically acclaimed What We Do in the Shadows, the potential seemed limitless. And while previous directors in the franchise, Kenneth Branagh and Alan Taylor, both brought something different to the films using Dutch angles, special effects, and drastic shifts in setting and tone, the bigwigs over at Marvel Studios recruited Taika Waititi to bring out something in Thor that we've only seen glimpses of throughout his time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that thing would be humor. Did it pay off? That's kind of the question, isn't it? Thor Ragnarok hasn't even made it to the end of its opening weekend and has not only earned over $200 million worldwide so far, it's also been a hit with critics being certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with a 93% and some are even calling it the best Marvel film yet. So you guys all know how I feel about critic culture. So let's, uh, let's find out what the critics are saying. 
Uh, the Hollywood Reporter's Sherry Linden said, Waititi's interest in intimate stories was evident in Hunt for the Wilder People, but it's the knack for dry comedy that he brought to the mockumentary, What We Do in the Shadows, that shapes the new Thor. Over at Polygon, Brock Wilbur's inner fanboy was evident when he said, Ragnarok is the child of confident filmmaking and understanding of what the Thor franchise could have always been. He went on to say that the movie sets a standard by which the entire MCU will have to adhere to, including the upcoming Avengers Infinity War. Ragnarok is an intense space opera that genuinely cares about every character having a journey and doesn't waste a second of screen time on anything artificial. Even the folks over at Empire liked it. Film reviewer James Dyer said, Like a cosmic fever dream, Ragnarok is a disorienting cocktail of riotous color and batty antics that seem almost unreal after the fact. Try to fit it into an established mold at your own peril, but roll with this and you'll discover not only a top-tier addition to the MCU, but one of the most flat-out enjoyable comedies of the year. So, uh, yeah, it would seem that Thor Ragnarok has been doing pretty well among critics. However, like I mentioned earlier, if you've read any of the reviews on this site, you might know that we're not exactly huge fans of critic culture. We also don't always agree with each other, especially when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Thor's place in it. Just ask Gerald about that. That being said, please don't listen to this review and think that it's biased towards one view or another. Also be aware that if you listen past this point, we're going to get down to the bones of this review and you will be hit with a lot of spoilers. Marvel has been having quite a few problems lately when it comes to what movies take place where on their timeline. If you'll recall the Spider-Man fiasco, which they just recently remedied. Um, Thor Ragnarok begins somewhere in the aftermath of Avengers Age of Ultron and Doctor Strange, and for the most part appears to run alongside Captain America's Civil War and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. When we first join our hero, we find out via a story being told to a skeleton that he's been all over the cosmos chasing Infinity Stones while simultaneously trying to stop the prophecies of Ragnarok. And for those of you familiar with Norse mythology, it's basically the Norse version of the End Times. According to legend, Surtur the Fire Demon is destined to destroy Asgard and bring about the end of the world as we know it. Naturally, Thor puts an end to him by knocking his head off and barely escaping thanks to the idiocy of the new guardian of the Rainbow Bridge, Scourge, which is played by Carl Urban, whom you may or may not know as Scourge the Executioner, who's less a scary villain he is in the comic books and more of a bumbling idiot. Once back in Asgard, Thor makes a startling discovery that things aren't what they seem or the way he left them. After finding Odin dressed in his bathrobes and watching a play that's reenacting the death of Loki, in which director Waititi takes a few shots at the dark tone of Thor the Dark Underworld. After Thor discovers Loki has been impersonating his father and with a little intimidation, the two of them set off to Midgard to recover their king. Uh, remember, Midgard is Earth for those of you who uh, aren't familiar with that term. The only problem is the retirement home where Loki left Odin is being demolished by bulldozers. As the two of them stand there arguing, a familiar ring of spinning sparks show up and Loki disappears. This is where things pick up from the after credit scene of Doctor Strange. If you'll recall, um, in the end of Doctor Strange, it shows Thor sitting in front of him drinking a beer. So, um, basically, Doctor Strange is worried about Loki's presence on Earth. He makes a deal with Thor that he'll help them find Odin if they leave immediately afterwards. When the two of them finally do catch up to their father, they find him in his final moments on some cliffs in Norway, where he explains to them that they have a megalomaniac for his sister named Hela who is not only the goddess of death and far more powerful than the two of them, but is also imprisoned and only being held wherever she is by Odin's life force. So naturally, Odin dies in the next scene. 
After Thor and Loki refuse to bend the knee to Hela, she destroys Thor's trusted hammer, Mjolnir, scaring Loki into opening the Rainbow Bridge. And as the three of them are fighting and traveling through space and time, both Thor and Loki are tossed out into the cosmos, leaving Hela free to terrorize and enslave Asgard. After a brutal scene depicting Hela killing the Warriors Three and laying waste to Asgard's army, we rejoin Thor and Loki who have somehow ended up on planet Sakaar, which is where both Planet Hulk and Scar's Son of Hulk comic books take place. And wouldn't you know it, it's also where the Hulk ended up after the events of Avengers Age of Ultron. The only problem is that the Hulk has been the Hulk for two entire years and when Bruce Banner finally re-emerges, he warns Thor that the Hulk has been in control for so long that if he turns into Hulk again, Bruce Banner might not ever come back. However, I'm getting ahead of myself. While Loki has managed to talk his way into favor with the Grand Master, Thor has been kidnapped by Valkyrie, an Asgardian who was once part of Asgard's famed Valkyrie warriors who were all allegedly wiped out by Hela. Valkyrie sells Thor to the Grand Master, who sends him to the Tournament of Champions to fight a ferocious creature that is thus far undefeated. And as it turns out, that ferocious creature is actually the Hulk. Long story short, Thor, with the help of Valkyrie, Loki, and Korg, a blue rock creature played by Taika Waititi, escape. They end up back on Asgard where Heimdall has been making life difficult for Hela. There's an epic showdown where villains redeem themselves, heroes discover their true power, and a bunch of escaped slaves from Sakaar make a real mess of things. There's also a showdown between the Hulk and a giant wolf. In the end, Thor realizes that the only way to save Asgard and defeat Hela is to let Asgard be destroyed, meaning he has to let Ragnarok run its course. Fortunately, in the MCU, Ragnarok only means the end of Asgard and not the universe, at least as far as we know. Perhaps this is a story for Thor 4, you know, assuming he lives through Avengers Infinity War. And speaking of Avengers Infinity War, if you stay for the first after credit scene, you'll find that Thor Ragnarok feeds directly into the next Avengers film by having the ship they used to escape Asgard run into Sanctuary 2, which if you're a comic book fan, you'll recognize as the ship that Thanos gets around in. Alright, time for the good, the bad, and the verdict. As far as redeeming the Thor franchise goes, I'm among the few who never thought Thor needed redeeming. Granted, his first film was pretty to look at, but it was rather bland and all the Dutch angles used by Kenneth Branagh were a little much. However, of all the criticism the film continuously receives, you never hear anyone say it was boring. As for Thor Ragnarok, the film builds upon both Thor and Thor the Dark World by taking us to new realms and upping the ante considerably in terms of what's at stake. The fight scenes are also massive and full of destruction. To give you something to compare it to, think about the brawl between Thor and Malekith in Thor the Dark World, and then amplify it by about a hundred. Thor Ragnarok has more action scenes than both of its predecessors combined. I would even go as far as to put it on par with Joss Whedon's Avenger films. Then there's the acting. Director Taika Waititi did an excellent job in both keeping the tone of the film lighter than the others, and also timing the laughs so they don't feel forced or overdone like they were in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And there's never a moment when his character Korg wasn't welcome on screen. His dry humor helped pace the film, keeping you intrigued and laughing, but not distracting you from what was happening. Then there's Chris Hemsworth, who gets a lot of heat from fans for taking an almost too Shakespearean approach to Thor. He had some funny moments in his solo outings, but it was Joss Whedon who showed us his potential to be funny in both Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. In fact, I would even go as far as to say that this film exists because of the on-screen antics between Thor and the Hulk in Avengers. It's also good to see that Marvel finally made use of the formidable acting chops of Idris Elba. If there's one mistake that is more than apparent in the first two Thor films, it's the gross underuse of one of the franchise's most talented actors. 
Yes, he did see a little more screen time in Thor The Dark World, but in this movie he was not only given a chance to take center stage, he sort of helped keep the movie held together, which is something it desperately needed with a continuous shift between worlds that are completely different to each other. Speaking of worlds, what a great time to be alive. We're in the midst of a Jeff Goldblum renaissance. First we gotta see him reprise his role in the not-so-well-received Independence Day resurgence. Then we gotta see him do his thing in Thor Ragnarok, and next year we'll get to see him in the currently unnamed Jurassic Park sequel. Watching him play the Grand Master under the direction of Taika Waititi was almost magical. Other good things worth mentioning are the way that they were able to give us a Thor sequel and sort of give us a Hulk sequel without actually giving the Hulk his own film. We can thank Universal for that. Or Marvel, I guess, depending on where you stand on their decision making. They also did a great job of making Thor Ragnarok stand on its own. With the exception of the storyline involving the Hulk and the Quinjet, there weren't many tie-ins to other characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And how could I forget about Jane Foster? It was nice to finally get a movie that wasn't filled with her whining, which is also the first thing on the bad part of this review. Alright, so for the bad, the romance between Jane Foster and Thor has always felt very cardboard and uninteresting, but after ending Thor the Dark World in a place that seemed to speak good things about their future, burying their relationship with only a few quickly spoken sentences felt insulting and made a good portion of the previous films feel like a complete waste of time. Don't get me wrong, I was never a huge fan of Natalie Portman, but the role of Jane Foster has always been an important one in the many story arcs that make up Thor's comic books. Kate Blanchett's Hela is another character that didn't exactly get their due. In the comic books, Hela is actually the daughter of Loki, but seeing how Loki has been more focused on ruling the Nine Realms through nefarious means than he has been on making babies, I can see why they chose to make Hela Odin's daughter instead. While Kate Blanchett did an excellent job of playing the part and is building quite the portfolio of parts adored by nerds, she wasn't exactly given a chance to shine. Though I understand that the movie was busy and with a running time of over two hours, it's hard to give everyone their due, but there's still so much about Hela that I would have liked to see brought to life. For example, what was her motivation? Was she simply far too ambitious or was she striving for her father's favor? What pushed her over the edge? There's also the fact that her father, for what might have been thousands of years, imprisoned her in a place that didn't sound very pleasant to be. That's definitely enough to give somebody daddy issues. Unfortunately, we didn't really get to see Hela's character develop past the point of her killing people and throwing swords everywhere. She was basically so strong you could see there were times in the script where the writers didn't know what to do with her. Speaking of Hela killing people and characters who didn't get justice, what was up with the minimal amount of screen time given to the Warriors 3? Their deaths weren't even scripted that well. Molstag and Fandral were hanging out on the Rainbow Bridge for what appeared to be no reason and only one of them got to say anything before dying. As for Hogan, who has always been the most tolerable of the warriors, at least he got to put up a fight before he died. Then there's Lady Sif, who's played by Jamie Alexander. She's a busy woman and fortunately, she got to miss out on dying. Again, after spending parts of the two previous films developing these characters, seeing them die so quickly and with such a lack of screen time makes portions of the last two films feel like a complete waste of time. Now let's talk about the comedy aspect. Don't take this the wrong way, I love the humor in Thor Ragnarok, and unlike Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the jokes weren't gratuitous. However, there were parts in the movie when it felt like they sacrificed depth and character development for cheap laughs. I mentioned this on the Pop Culture Cosmos Multiverse podcast earlier this week. Thor has a lot of potential. For lack of a better word, he's an epic character. He just needs to have his story portrayed in a way that properly depicts the size and scope of the world in which he lives. Director Taika Waititi did a good job with giving the film volume in terms of size and scope, but it was all very surface level. 
making it feel like the epic aspects were purposely replaced with action scenes and one-liners, sort of like a Ron Perlman movie. This is something that Marvel films continuously suffer from and audiences don't really help with it. After all, why give a film a good story with depth and layers when you can fill it with explosions and campy dialogue? This is why Ant-Man is never put into any top 10 list among MCU because it actually has depth to it. As for the verdict, it's good to see Thor and Loki getting along, though how long that lasts remains to be seen. They certainly left his gaze lingering on the Tesseract for a forebodingly long amount of time. And if you watch the first end credit scene, it sets it up perfect for Loki to deliver the Tesseract slash Space Stone to Thanos, whether on purpose or by force. Overall, Thor Ragnarok ended in the perfect place for Avengers Infinity War to begin. Whether or not the Black Panther will have any sort of build-up to the next Avengers film is all speculation at this point. As for now, director Taika Waititi has taken our favorite Asgardian Avenger to places we never thought we'd see him go when he first appeared on the big screen back in 2011. Thor Ragnarok might not have the serious tone we've come to expect from Thor films, but it might be the most entertaining movie in Phase 3, and possibly the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. While his fate remains to be seen in Avengers Infinity War, it'd be nice to see him get another solo outing. It's just a shame it's taken them this long to make his character so likable with the fans. If you can't wait to see what happens next, fear not, Marvel has closed the gap significantly in their release schedule. Black Panther is set to come out on February 16th and Avengers Infinity War is due to come out on April 25th. As for now, Thor Ragnarok has something for every Marvel fan and is well worth paying the increasing cost of movie tickets to see. If you like this review, please follow us on Facebook and be sure to tune in to the Pop Culture Cosmos show every Monday night on the Podcast Radio Network and the Pop Culture Cosmos Multiverse show every Wednesday night on the Podcast Radio Network. And you can also check us out on iTunes. And we have a website at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Thanks for tuning in. Super. Super. What's up guys, Josh here from the Super BS Games Cast, as well as the Pop Culture Cosmos show on the Podcast Radio Network. I'm coming at you with my review of the game Maze, created by Finish Line Studios, a Toronto-based studio that is responsible for the remaster of Cell Damage, a little game some of you guys might remember as a vehicular combat game that looks half Borderlands, half Twisted Metal. It was fun, but forgettable. Anyways, uh, let's get to it. In a world full of vengeful assassins, plumbers with dependency issues, and anti-bullying campaigns that masquerade themselves as racing games, yes, I'm talking about you, Gran Turismo Sport. It's about time that somebody dared to make a game about sentient corn. Maze is a game whose on-screen characters are made up entirely of sentient corn. Oh, and an annoying Russian teddy bear, but we'll come back to this. Let's talk about this unique adventure that takes place in the American heartland, where if you see a large farm in the middle of nowhere, chances are there's a large government-funded laboratory hidden several feet beneath it. Unlike most of the indie games that have flooded the market in this current generation of consoles, Maze has a very simple story. A couple of government scientists misinterpreted a memo and accidentally created sentient corn stalks instead of whatever it was they were actually supposed to create, which is never exactly made clear. And that's where this awkwardly entertaining first-person adventure begins. 
It's your job to investigate the farm, the abandoned facility, and the plight of the sentient cornstalks by solving puzzles, picking up items, and occasionally facing off with a large cornstalk in a leafy coat named Cornacabra, who wants you to fail so he can lead his fellow cornstalks in a violent revolution against humans. During your investigation, you'll encounter all kinds of weird and unpredictable things, like a talking teddy bear slash supercomputer named Vladi, who thinks you're an idiot and is funny for about two of the nearly 90 minutes he spends following you around. There's also a side story told entirely with blue and pink sticky notes that chronicle the rise and fall of the two idiot scientists who ran the underground facility named Bob and Ted. To make a long story short, they ran out of funding because they squandered all of their money on large statues of themselves, lobbies they bought in bulk, and advertising materials for a resort slash theme park. Now let's talk about the gameplay. Maze isn't exactly your run-of-the-mill first-person game. While the graphics are modern and fairly beautiful in some aspects, the gameplay resembles a more classic point-and-click adventure. You wander around the facility, interacting with the environment while picking up items and using them to solve puzzles that will help you unravel the story. And solving these puzzles will help you move on to the next part of the facility. And seeing how the developers want you to laugh more than struggle, most of the puzzles are fairly easy to solve, and your progression is facilitated by three sentient cornstalks who like to talk in riddles, argue with each other, and take naps. Then there's Vladi, the talking Russian teddy bear who you help bring to life using some machine parts and a stick of RAM. He's sort of an asshole and he verbally abuses you constantly, but he does prove to be useful when it comes to opening doors, crawling through vents, and scaring away Cornucabra. And if you ever find yourself stuck, each of the items you pick up has a clue about what you're supposed to do with it. That being said, there's so many great things about this game. Before I go on, I'll be completely honest for a minute. When I was asked to review this, I wasn't exactly thrilled about it. Gaming season has officially started and I have Assassin's Creed Origins, Super Mario Odyssey, and Wolfenstein 2 still in their wrapping and sitting on the shelf next to my consoles. So it's kind of like torture playing another game and not being able to play those. But if you couldn't tell, the gaming scene is about to experience a renaissance of sorts. With large studios causing the collapse of AAA gaming in our bank accounts by filling games with loot boxes, unavoidable multiplayer, and in-game purchase options, the future of video games may very well rest in the hands of indie developers. And if Maze is any indication of the quality we're going to get, the future is in good hands. Anyway, I digress. Maze's simplicity is one factor that works heavily in its favor. By keeping the plot a mystery and revealing it little by little through optional and unavoidable interactions, the developers were able to take a game with very few in-game mechanics and keep it interesting to the very end. The graphics are also worth being mentioned. As soon as the game starts, you get a taste of their beauty firsthand. Everything from the environments to the way the sun casts light through the cornfields is carefully detailed and full of shifting colors depending on what angle you're standing at. Finally, the dialogue is very well written. It's rare that you find a game whose writers aren't afraid to take chances. Maze does a good job of taking random and occasionally awkward topics and ideas and using them to develop both the characters and the narrative as a whole. To put it simply, it's funny. As for the bad, well, the flaws in this game are few and far between, the main one being how annoying Vladi the talking Russian teddy bear is, though I guess he sort of redeems himself in the end. Other than that, the loading times when moving from one area to the next are almost Skyrim bad, as in it sometimes takes over a minute for the next area to load, and you can be left wondering if the game froze. Then there's the soundtrack. I get that the game is supposed to have a Monty Python X-Files vibe to it, but the music does very little to facilitate the mood of the game and sounds like it was done entirely on a synthesizer using only three or four notes. Alright, so as a whole, Maze is an entertaining experience and completely worth the $19.99 it costs to play it. Though some might argue that because the game itself is only two or three hours long, depending on how much time you spend exploring, it should be less. On the plus side of that argument, it never once feels like it needs to end or outstays its welcome. 
If anything, it shows you that not all good games have to take weeks to beat and require DLC to give you the complete experience. Finish Line Games has done an amazing job with Maze and has proven that comedy and fulfillment can easily exist in the same game without feeling like a low-budget Will Ferrell movie. Thanks for watching my review and listening to me talk. If you like this review and you want to hear more from me and my buddies over the Super BS Gamescast, please check us out on iTunes. We have new episodes up every other Monday. And you can also check it out on the Pop Culture Cosmos show every Monday and Wednesday on the Podcast Radio Network. Super. 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 Super.